This is Dental All-Stars, where we bring you the best in dentistry on marketing, management, and training. Here's your host, Alex Nottingham. Hey everyone, it's Alex Nottingham, founder of All-Star Dental Academy, and we have Larry Gazzardo, our head instructor, Eric Vickery, our case acceptance specialist, and one of our longstanding coaches. And we're picking up on, this is our third episode in a row on case acceptance, and we're really excited to be talking about this because we are launching a wonderful webinar, free training on case acceptance that I've been promoting and putting uh, links below the videos and pot, depending on where you're reading, it's a blog or a video or a podcast, we're making it easy for you to get access to this great free training webinar. But, but I want to kind of start to, to go in depth in some of these subjects that we'll talk about on the webinar. So for today, we're talking about dental case acceptance and the five steps to increasing treatment acceptance, or what we call at Ulster Dental Academy, our five R's. So Eric, show us a little picture of your phone because he had his up from the from the course he was preparing there. You can see he's logged into his all-star training and Eric, you have, you only have one checked off. You better. Keep... Well, I, I screenshot it a long time ago. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, there you go. That was a while ago. And I did that. You so, have young kids. I could tell. <laughs> there are, <laughs> there are many systems. We're all about systems and all-star we like to make sure that your business has good people, but it's systems dependent, not just relying on people. And one of, when we're talking about case acceptance, we got to talk about the five R's of case acceptance, which is our system. And I talk about that in the webinar and I go into great detail, obviously in the course with Larry Gazzardo and Eric also has um, contributed to the course as well. And he'll be uh, recording some new material soon for me uh, to be adding to the program because we're always updating as we, we learn and grow. So I want to talk about the five R's, gentlemen, and I want to look at some of the, I'm going to name them one at a time, and I want to look at, we can define what it is, but what's, because in the webinar, I give some more details of what you have to do, right? Some of the, the, the sequences, but, but here, since I have you guys, where are people falling short? Because I don't have time in a short webinar to cover all the stuff. So we're supplementing in these, these talks. So there are the five R's is you build rapport. You review findings, what you find in, in your fact finding. You re review the fees. You respond to objections. We talked about objections in our last episode. And you receive payment. You get the money. Rapport, and I, I was holding off in these other talks about what's the answer to a lot of this stuff is rapport. Is having and rapport is where you have that relationship with the patient. You're, you're liked, you're trusted. It sounds very simple, but there are PhD programs on just rapport, <laughs> right? And there are best-selling books on just rapport. It's all rapport. If you like someone, you know them, you trust them, you're there, right? If, so if you like them, if you like them, if you like them, and that's we, why we I think sometimes we confuse, we confuse being friendly with having that's rapport. Right. It's right. not the same. How about those braids? Ooh, having some heat we're having, you know, we're being friendly. You haven't developed rapport with that person. That's a good point. It's not, and you can't script it because it's fake. It sounds fake. It, it's something, it may not even be words that you're saying. It, it could be your presence, your attitude. And you can't, you can't fake rapport for very long. 
a little bit, but that's again back to manipulation. But then you pay for it later when they figure out you're a fraud. But for most people, have a rapport meter or a way to sense what you're around. Well, so, you can't you can't assume that we're closer than we actually are. That's right. where people sniff out. Hey, pal, back off. You know what I mean? I'm not, I'm not that much of your friend. Really in rapport, we just want the patient to, to like us enough to be honest. Right. You know, to feel like I'm in the right, right place. Like I could trust these people, you know. But yeah, if, if, if we try to assume a, a level of intimacy that it does not exist, they will resist it. We're not that good of friends. And, and actually, it's not a patient's intention to become your friend. And so the the whole process of the patient experience, that's why I'm going back. We really want to avoid the myopic view uh, and monolithic view of how to train and how to perceive the practice. It's an entire machine and organism. And from the very beginning, from the phone call, from your marketing, from everything, we want to be building that rapport. And it's a journey, a patient journey. Okay. And, and like Larry, Larry said, you can't just fake it or I'm just going to figure out rapport when I get to case acceptance and be nice and fuzzy because I want their money. Right. Yeah, Larry absolutely. does a great for those. We have to put it up again. Larry, he has a great video on how not to do it. We call it the unpatient experience. It was a, it was a great program that Larry did. All right. So these, these episodes are short, so I, I want to get right to it. Okay. So I heard from Larry about rapport quickly, Eric, where does rapport break down? Because I, 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 we can spend yeah. a whole series of podcasts oh, yeah. on rapport, but I, I just want to go through these five R's and see. Eric, rapport. Okay. I don't want to offend any dentists out there, but a lot of dentists are left brain analytical book mm. smart. And for me, rapport is a street smart thing. And you have to tap, you have to bridge that gap in your brain. You got to work on this. This is something that you have to practice to improve the skill, right? You have to train. And understand that rapport is a two-way street. It's it's not me just telling you, hey, we have rapport, just like Larry was saying, hey, the weather's great, you look great today, and so good to see you. And it's all these things that we're saying, these statements. So remember to be interested, not interesting. That's and right. you ask questions and you build the rapport through questions and hearing from them. That's how you build rapport. So if you need to take it from book smart to street smart, understand the system is ask questions. And don't fool yourself in thinking that we have rapport just because I talk to you a lot about other things. Mm, that's a good point that are not even related to, to the mouth. Yeah. What now? So, so rapport. And again, this is a huge topic, huge. And that's why I don't want to, cause once we get into it, this, this is going to be a two hour episode and we like to keep them short and sweet and action oriented. The next step after we we've built rapport, we're being genuine, whatever it is, and 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 as I mentioned, we're always building rapport, is reviewing finding stage. So reviewing what we found. And you were talking, Eric, about the co-diagnosis. Where do when we review what we find more in a kind of a, a quasi-official capacity? Here's the dossier of all the work we've done so far, where we're at. Where did Dennis go wrong in this step? Go ahead, Eric, and then we'll hear from Larry. The there's a there's a safety line, right? Of like as you're building trust and rapport, mm -hmm. and when you when you breach that safety line into this danger area, you've broken 
that level it's really hard to get it back and if you're not able to read this person and have built it all along hmm. in the in the last couple we've talked about we've flirted with this is it's so much easier to prevent objections than it is to deal with them so mm. look for them ask them encourage them get them and and maybe the patient doesn't even object to you maybe they don't tell you anything they yes you to death yes 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 mm -hmm. and then they don't show up for their appointment that's how an objection can mm -hmm. reveal itself i see and when you've broken this this rapport level of, of achieving trust with them when you've broken that rule you're going to see the effects of that in no shows in it, it, just get me out of here, right? I don't know what I'm doing in six months. Just put me down for something. Those types of responses. And so if those things are happening, you need to take uh, inventory, go back and evaluate. Mm -hmm. And and how they they can show up in review of findings is they're not connected. You're talking too long. You're long-winded. Right. Mm -hmm. you, you spend more than two minutes talking about something, you've lost the person. They, they've, especially if it's a guy, they're they're off into, uh, you know, daydream. <laughs> and so... If you've done a good job of co-diagnosing all through along, the review of findings should be pretty direct and make sense to them. And they're not surprised. They're just, Larry they're not, oh yeah, yeah, not yeah I remember that. Yeah, okay. Remember we talked about this tooth here and, and it should just continue. And, and and then ultimately it's people are buying for their reasons, not your reasons. So your, your, your prelude to all of this is you told me that this is important to you over here. That's why I'm talking to you about these problems here because of how those are connected and how one will interfere with you achieving what you really said you wanted. So for example, I used last time, Alex, your grandfather lost his teeth and you told me you didn't want to lose your teeth as well. That's why I'm concerned about your gum disease. And you can that these makes sense to the, to the recommendations you put out. They're not surprised at all. Everything ties together the story. Yes. Larry, how about you with, with when you review findings, what do you find is the biggest hurdle or pitfall one there. of them and there's a there's a lot of things but for this podcast i'll say the findings usually are not done in a private setting mm -hmm. you know so the patient feels comfortable asking questions and and things like that and then and then to go along with something that eric said is we we use a lot of jargon because <laughs> we think it means that we're smarter because we use big uh -huh. words and we have to remember that words that are not familiar to a patient are not friendly and the problem with us today is when you lose them, or excuse me, when you confuse them, you lose them. And they don't come back because in our culture, people think it's perfectly acceptable to say, I don't have no idea what that guy just said. You know, we're not the kind of culture that says, you mentioned something I didn't quite understand and I have a few questions about it so that I can understand it at your level. People today don't do that. They will go, like Eric said, yes, 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 yes. And then walk out of there going, I have no idea what that person just said. So just for today's purposes, I would say, because we talk about this in our other courses and in our whole process, but usually findings are reviewed in the wrong environment, you know, mm -hmm. where the patient doesn't feel like they can participate, which is a big problem for us because people don't respect decisions that are being made without their input. So environment is, is important. And we, we feel like because we're not using big words, people won't respect us. And what we have to remember is that good <laughs> communicators are understood. You know, and Gandhi, you know Martin Luther King, a lot of these people, they knew how to speak to the masses and that's the masses right. understood them. And that's why they're so well revered. And whether you like Bill Clinton or not, he spoke very simply, but you know, this guy was 
what a Rhodes Scholar, brilliant. He was a genius, but he a knew genius. how to say, I feel your pain. Right. Ronald Reagan, same thing. These are really intelligent yeah. people, but they dumb it down, I guess. You know what's interesting? No, no, they and, just and speak in a way. They speak to you in a way that, that you great can community. understand. The it was interesting when I was in law school, there and there was a movement, and there still is, which is great, to simplify the language. Because too many contracts, you're using words that are more than you have to, more however aforementioned pursuant therewith. Like, why? So they're like, write, write a, a simple sentence that makes sense and people understand than writing these convoluted contracts. So, okay, that's reviewing, reviewing findings. Now, here's a big one. After we review the findings, we review the fees. What do you find is the biggest issue or barrier when it comes to reviewing fees that happen in this process? Go ahead, Eric. Who's, who's start? Okay, I'll, I'll jump in. So there's so many things you could discuss here. I know we have limited time, Alex, but I, I want to say just what we've been flirting around with here is these terminology that we use that creates a misperception of what's in the patient's brain and, and they don't ask questions. One of the worst things you could do is say, do you have any questions for me? No, the doctor leaves and they ask all the questions to the assistant or whatever, right? Is there anything I haven't made clear would be a better sort of response. But here's the thing, the reason that they would have unclarity, thing, the reason things would be foggy in their brain is because of the terminology we use or we minimized the real problem in co-diagnosis, promise this has to do with fees. <laughs> so you have a little bit of bleeding you know, there's a tiny cavity in there. And then they go out to the front and for a little bit of bleeding, it's a thousand dollars. And for a tiny cavity, it's another thousand dollars and it doesn't equate. And they're going, well, wait a second. It's not even bothering me. Why would I be spending all this money? And now your, your fee process and reviewing fees becomes a real complicated process when it didn't have to be in the beginning. So first of all, I'll say is watch your terminology that you're using in co-diagnosis that it doesn't screw up your fee process and you're reviewing your fees there yep i think that's a good issue and 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 anybody's ever been listening to me knows that the sooner you bring up fees or the idea of a budget the easier it is for a patient to have a conversation with you um i said earlier in the other podcast uh, money is a genuine objection because people have reasons why they don't have money they have money but they might not have money right now and it's a genuine objection and we don't want to have to deal with it when we're expecting the patient to make a decision. We don't want them to say, well, I don't have any money for this because now we have to backpedal and start putting pressure on the patient and all that. So I say the, the problem that we have with fees is that we don't bring it up early enough and we don't look for opportunities to bring it up. Uh, my guideline is always anytime the patient states a preference for treatment. Let's say, for instance, I'll give you a simple example. If they say, I wish my smile looked better. And you say, well, how would it look if it was better? And they say, oh, I'd get those veneers like I see those people in Hollywood get. And I'd have a porcelain all around all of my mouth and say, well, you know what? That would be a way of making your teeth look better. Now they've stated a preference for treatment. So ask them, you know what? If you've been thinking about this, have you considered your budget as well? You know, because dentistry is always... It's never as much as people think it's going to be or, or what they expected they would have to pay because it's so much more complicated than everybody's anticipating, you know, because there's a lot of other things that go into it. So, so my point is, is don't be afraid to bring up the fees 
as early as possible. You might be in the initial interview with the patient before you've even started doing your exam. If you listen for an opportunity, bring it up. We think it bothers us. You know, I'm sorry. We think it bothers the patient. It doesn't. It bothers us more than it bothers them. They already know sure. this is going to cost money. They just don't know how much money it's going to cost. So again, the sooner you bring it up, sooner we bring it up, the easier it is for the patient to have a conversation. The longer you wait and that blood pressure is going up with this patient and you go, and it's $15,000, they got to get out of there. And so to relieve the pressure, they just say, I got to go talk to my spouse or call a cop or, you know, something. I just, <laughs> I cannot, I cannot make a decision right now. And, and, and so the, the dentist perception. Fees. Yeah, and, a, and the perception of the dentist, Larry, is that if I talk about fees, that's selling, and I don't want to be a salesman. And yeah. that's just, that's just not it, true. It is true. If, but if they bring it up first, like they stated a preference for, mm -hmm. um, stated a preference for. The patient treatment. brings it up first. Yeah, yes. like, oh, if you'd like to do it with veneers, that's a great option. And I can certainly determine whether you're a good candidate for that. And since you've been thinking about it, I was wondering if you also considered the expense that is involved. Mm -hmm. I mean, you'd say mm -hmm. it any way that's comfortable for you, but the patient knows it costs money. Uh, just bring it up. No, we that's like to go, ooh, la, la, let's go. There, there's a philosophy between the sales approach and the service approach, which is, Larry, we've been kind of innovating this for a while and now you know it's become the talk the talk of dentistry right service based well where'd you get yeah. that from larry gazardo <laughs> okay so the exactly so it's okay though you know it's imitation is the greatest form of flattery the the service based is you, you know or the sales based is you're being we say manipulate you manipulate because you're hiding something when you're service you're never hiding anything it's obvious you're right yes we're going to discuss fees let's let's talk about it you know it doesn't have to be this mystery we're demystifying right. has anybody stuff. ever explained to you the components right. of having an right. implant restoration because it's more complicated than what the public understands exactly the earlier so. you do it the easier it is for them to go oh i had no idea that's why it's so expensive the yeah. last two last two steps this one should be quickly because we discussed this in our last episode which is how to respond to objections so responding to objections Biggest issue with respond to rejections in less than a minute. Eric, go. We have a tendency to get into two formats, either agreement or argument. Okay. Somebody says that's somebody says that's expensive. Oh, I know. Oh, dentistry is so expensive. Hurry, go. The prices are going up any minute. Doctors are reviewing the fees now. Leave. <laughs> you know, we, we have this tendency we're to changing the fees right now. Yeah, we're we're yeah. updating our fee schedule now. You know, I, I <laughs> So don't get, don't make the mistake of getting an agreement with the patient just because you're afraid of engaging in that conversation. And then the opposite spectrum is argument. Oh, this is a lot of money. Yeah, but we could put it in a 12-month no interest plan through this company that we use. And you're right back at them. You're in direct opposition. Instead of stop, acknowledge, and engage in the conversation, ask some questions, it's so much better if they uncover their own objection than if you try to tell them yourself. So agreement, argument neither will work for you. You got you to get somewhere in the middle in engagement and create communication. How can I serve you? It's a service-based viewpoint. Larry? Yep. And I would say that you have to develop a mindset that you should expect an objection. And when you don't get an objection, there's probably one lurking behind the scenes that will come out at a time that won't be appropriate for you. It's so, almost like the, the objections are like decay. You want to get it all out. You know? Yeah. Well, an objection doesn't mean no. 
In right, my mind, exactly. an objection means I don't have enough information Clearly. to make a decision. Uh, it mm -hmm. sounds like resistance because they say, but that's going to be a lot of money, or I don't know if I'm going to have enough time. Uh, I would go back to engaging with the patient, asking more questions. Tell me about money or, or your budget. Tell me about your time because I'm good at working with all of those things. You know, that's why I asked Susie to be here during this presentation so that she would be familiar with your case because we're, we're great at working out these things. So number one, don't fear the objection. Don't. It's, it's just another, it's a, it's a part of the process of the patient working with you to figure out whether they should do this treatment or not. It's a part of it. So don't, don't worry about it. Don't be afraid of it. Don't fear the objection. And, and last step is receiving payment. What do you find the biggest issue, quickly, minute or less, on receiving payment? Patients don't want to feel like they're the exception to a typical rule and you're trying to get one over on them. So this is how we do it with all of our patients. Just a okay. real simple statement that will help you. And instead of, well, yours is really expensive and the tone of voice you know, goes south. And so what we're going to have to do is, and then the whole process becomes, they feel this pressure like you're trying to sell, get one over on them, the rapport is gone, all those things fall apart. Instead of, I'm so glad you and the doctor came to agreement on getting those problems cured, right? Focus on the condition, the problems again, not the treatment so much, it sounds expensive, right? And then move into, in fact, we have great ways that uh, we offer all of our patients and I wanna figure out one that works best for you. Yep. And so I would just follow up with, you know, because you should have plenty of options for people to be able to pay for their treatment. And so I, I'm still a big fan of asking the patient when when you have an invoice like this or you're, you know, you have, you're presented with a fee like this. How do you like to pay for it? You know, chances are their whatever their answer is, is going to be close to what you could already do. So so give them the choice. You know, and just say, you know, how do you like to pay for things like that? If if they need more time than the length of treatment, that's going to be our third party financing option. If they need less time than that, like if they can pay for it while they're being treated, we can do that in-house. But we, we, we teach courses on these things as well. Um, so I would say, you know, if we don't give them, if we don't let them feel like they're in control of how they're paying this bill, then they're going to resist us. Excellent, gentlemen. So again, I'm going to put a link available for the case acceptance free training is how to increase case acceptance, get patients to say, say yes without manipulation sales or stuff like that. So check that out if you haven't. Again, thank you everybody for coming. And until next time, go out there and be, be an all-star. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Dental All-Stars. Visit us online at allstardentalacademy.com.